0: Welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind, a radio program and a podcast about mental health and well-being
1: made by people with lived experience in
0: association with Cornwall Mind.
1: We do occasionally cover subjects that some listeners may find distressing.
0: For more information, help and support, please visit CornwallMind.org.
1: A Space to Speak Your Mind with Cornwall Mind
2: for better mental health. Welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind on this Times Talk Day. Today to talk about mental health. I'm Richard and on the show today I'll be speaking with Dom Jolly and also Ruth Cock from the Trussell Trust Food Bank and I'll be talking with Sean Flores about his experiences around Pure O and OCD. First though to find out more about Time to Talk Day I'm joined by Vicky Nash who's the Associate Director of Policy Campaigns and Public Affairs at Mind.
1: A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind.
2: Times Talk Day is the nation's biggest conversation around mental health, with the aim to inspire millions of conversations across the country and encourage more people to talk about their mental health. It's run by MIND and Rethink Mental Illness in England and is delivered by partnership with The Co-op. And to find out more, I'm joined by Vicky Nash, who's the Associate Director of Policy Campaigns and Public Affairs at MIND. Good to have you on the show, Vicky. Lovely to be here.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: So how can Times Talk Day help the conversation around mental health?
3: Well, it's really interesting that you asked this question. A time to talk day, as we know, is really important to make that time in the day to both listen and to speak about mental health. And we actually run some polling with our colleagues at Rethink and the co-op and we were actually quite concerned by the research findings because we found that almost 20 million adults never speak about their mental health at all. Also worryingly eight in ten are saying that the cost of living crisis is really affecting their mental health and that's actually worse for people with existing mental health problems that goes up to 94% who say they're worried about the cost of living crisis and how it's affecting their mental health. So what we're seeing is actually a lot of people aren't talking about mental health and fewer people are expecting to be talking about mental health going forward. So despite that growth in mental health awareness we know that stigma and a lack of support are continuing to stop people from speaking out about mental health. So that's why these podcasts and the work that you're doing is so important to make sure that we're having these conversations day in, day out.
2: We're having conversations all the time and we've seen so many more people coming forward. How's the picture nationally? Do you think things have changed in the last 12 months? It's been such a difficult time for us over the last two years. Do you think that's kind of helped us to talk about mental health more or do you think it's making people a bit more reluctant?
3: I think that when we think about what people have gone through over the last 12 months, and obviously that came on top of the last impact of the pandemic, which really affected people's ability to make space and to manage their mental health. What we're finding is actually people are having fewer conversations. And 50% of the people that we spoke to said that they were having fewer conversations because they didn't want to feel like they were burdening others with their problems, because everyone seems to be struggling right now in some way, shape or form. And so Felt like that their problems, their concerns about their own mental health, they didn't want to bother other people about them because others have got other things to worry about. But we know that when we talk about our own mental health, that can really help us to understand what might be going on for us, but also to work out where we might want to seek help and what type of help we might need. So that's a really live concern at the moment. The other thing that we kind of picked up on was that lots of people are saying they actually can't afford anymore those social activities that help them stay mentally well and others are having to work longer hours which means they don't have the time to do the things they were doing beforehand.
2: From the national picture, are you seeing mine services being used more and you know, obviously within the local mines there are services that are available. Are you able to signpost them to the wellbeing services and are they more willing to go to those more do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's we've definitely seen at kind of a national level and through the kind of information line that we run, the tail end of kind of last year, we've seen a 40% increase in the number of people that were phoning out information lines, specifically with concerns around kind of the cost of living crisis, money, financial worries. And we know that that is kind of replicated across the board in other kind of mental health services. Saying that, we know that lots of our local minds are still very much open for business, still keen to speak to people. So I think they've also seen an increase in referrals coming through to them, And part of that problem is also the challenge of people trying to access help through kind of the NHS, which is becoming tougher with longer waiting times. The need for specialist services in particular have been really badly affected. So there's definitely people are still coming forward. They're definitely coming forward to us and we would encourage them to reach out and seek help if people are worried about their mental health
2: yeah especially on this times talk day a really good day to start that conversation are you finding as well that there's particular groups that you're concerned about are the people that aren't coming forward from particular aspects of society
3: well what's really interesting is what's happening with our young people so we know that young people were disproportionately impacted, really, by the pandemic and how dealing with the consequences of the, the cost of living crisis and, and into the recession as we enter that. But what was really interesting when we looked at what young people had told us was um, young people in general talk a lot more about their mental health than the older generations. Almost kind of three in five under 25 year olds uh, make regular space to talk about their mental health at least once a week as compared to kind of just over a third of the general population. But it's actually younger people and young people who are are saying actually they are likely to reduce the frequency of their conversations more significantly than other age groups. For all of those reasons, they don't want to feel like they're a burden. They actually haven't got the time to have those conversations. They're worried about other areas. So we're really worried about young people because we saw the impact the pandemic's had. We've seen the increase in prevalence rates from one in nine before COVID to one in six now of young people having a mental health problem, which is, you know, it is really worrying about making sure that we get the right support early on for the young people now. Yeah.
2: So what can we do as a nation to increase that accessibility to mental health support?
3: Well, I think think a little bit about kind of what to do if you're worried about your own mental health, as well as kind of how you might be worried about your loved one's mental health as well. The most important thing is to talk about it. You know, if you're worried about your own mental health, find someone that you trust, who you can confide in, practice what you want to say beforehand, whether that's saying something like, oh, I've been feeling myself lately or... I'm finding it really hard to cope at the moment and, and be open. And if you're the person that's worried about a loved one, again, making the space and the time to ask the questions and to properly listen to what someone's saying if you are worried about that you might be struggling with your mental health, you're not quite sure what's going on, then obviously you can visit mine's website, mind.org.uk, or you can call our information line and the number is on our website. So you can find all the information there. And that's a good first step to find out what might be going on for you. But it also signposts you to all the support up and down the country. So that's a good first step. And if you're really worried about your mental health, then please do go and visit your GP.
2: So yeah, on Time's Talk Day, you can go to the Mines website and also here in Cornwall, also at cornwallmines.org for all the local information. But for now, Vicky Nash, Associate Director of Policy Campaigns and Public Affairs at Mines, thank you so much for being here on Time's Talk Day.
4: Thanks for having
5: me. A space to speak your mind.
2: So I'm here with Heimke, who is here for Time's Talk Day at the St Austal Food Bank, and you're here from the Co-op, who are the partners for Time's Talk Day. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement?
0: Hello, yeah, I'm Heimke. I'm a co-op member pioneer for St. also St. & Par. My rule is to connect the community with co-op and also show what we are doing how we can help we are helping as the most people know helping the food banks mind was one of the big charities national charities for the co-op in the last year so there's a really close connection to it and so yeah we're, we're trying to taking care a little bit on, on the community and if they need something like just picking up some leaflets and we'll bring it out to the shops to the manager because they know their people And if there's someone where they think they need help, they can hand over this brochure and say, here, there you can help. So it's a little bit different than normal supermarkets.
2: Yeah. And time to talk today, a day to talk about mental health. Are people coming to you to talk about their experiences around food poverty and the kind of experiences that they're having from day to day living?
0: The shops are really involved in it because sure if there is food poverty there's also food lifting (laughs) so there are thieves around because they need to do it because they don't have anything and to get in contact with these people also to just be in front of the supermarkets and talk to people and as well have this extra ear and maybe this extra knowledge so all our Staff are aware of mine, they are aware of the stuff we are doing around. We have the local courses where we are helping little community groups or bigger charities or CICs. And there are also a lot of CICs, charities and community groups involved who are taking care of mental health in different ways, if it's about dancing, if it's about swimming, if it's about gardening or whatever, so it's always this connection between the co-op and mental health and helping. Sure, it is a supermarket, they can't take care, they are not social workers, but they know their people and then
2: they can help. It's a community space and it's somewhere that people can come and have that open conversation, which is what we're encouraging today.
0: Yeah, yeah. and just with the little shops, yeah, like in St. Blazy. there is a big co-op in St. Blasey and the little one in Par, but there's no other around. So it's always traveling to the next big supermarket, so they are buying a lot of stuff in their local community co-op. And so, as I said, they know each other and then they can help each other, but just if you are aware of it. And so that's one of the key things for the co-op as well, to really stay in the community, to be connected to the community and not be just a supermarket who don't take care, or just doing. It's a little bit tricky. It's, it's easier to have just handing out food or also having a little bit knowledge about why this person maybe needs some help and hand them over to someone who really can help.
2: Well, it's an important job you're doing and uh, we wish you every success with today and thank you so much for talking with us.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
2: A space to speak your mind with
1: Cornwall Mind.
2: The impact of screen time is well documented, but what about those who face digital exclusion? In a recent survey, almost half of people admitted that if it wasn't for their mobile phone, they wouldn't have contact with anyone, whilst 57% admitted that without a digital connection that their well-being would suffer. To find out more, I'm joined by Dom Jolly and also Ruth Cock from the Trussell Trust Food Bank. Good to have you both on the show. Hello, thank you.
4: Lovely to be here.
2: Ruth, can I start with you first? For Time to Talk Day, it's really important that people are connecting with others. From a mental health point of view and from what you see, how important is that?
4: I mean, it's hugely important at Trussell Trust Food Banks, We provide the opportunity for people to access three days' worth of emergency food, but we also give people the opportunity to sit down, Have a cup of tea, have a conversation with somebody that they might not have had that opportunity to talk about what's going on, the financial hardship that they're facing and the issues they're facing. And then if you add in that, unable to connect with people via data or via the phone, that gives you that kind of isolation that is going to impact issues that you're facing even more and so it's really important to be able to provide people the opportunity to connect with their family and their friends and if you don't have access to data sometimes you're not able to do that
2: and john you've experienced this over a weekend you've tried
5: without using your phone without internet access how was that for you well i mean obviously you know a weekend's nothing in the broader scheme of things so it's not exactly in fact a weekend off Digitally disconnected for me. I'll be honest with you, it was actually quite nice. It meant I was sort of less battling with Twitter trolls. I wasn't constantly having my dopamine hit by looking at my phone. And you know, I actually got to meet my family. It turned out to be an incredibly nice bunch. I've learned their names and everything. It's been a real bonus for me. But what was really interesting was actually just realizing just how much of modern life. I think it's sort of crept up on us, and we don't realize till you stop it, just how much of modern life is now controlled by being online i mean from ridiculous things like scanning a menu at a restaurant i went past a busker the other day i wasn't taking cash he had a card machine but you know you use your phone for your id you've got your cards in there if you're trying to find somewhere you use a map and then most importantly i think is the social side you keep in touch you get your news from social media you contact people you, you don't have to have a full conversation you're just in the mix and i think What I really like about what the Trussell Trust and uh, Tesco Mobile have done is they've realized, I think, that the concept of people needing data and people going offline probably doesn't sound as urgent as something like food. But I think it really, it's so important because it's A, you need to be able to just deal with day-to-day life on so many levels. And if you don't, you're not online, it's difficult. But also just that feeling of isolation, I think is extraordinary. I mean, I can't say I was isolated for two days, but even in the two days, you realize just how much you use that to communicate with people. And I think certainly with mental health, I've had depression and anxiety when I was younger and and no one talked about it at that stage. And I think one of the great things now is that everyone... Well, not everyone, but it's much easier to talk about it. It's much more open to talk about it. And one of those ways you can do that, if you're feeling down, is just contacting someone online. It's just vital.
2: I mean, that's the thing with digital technology. I guess for people have anxiety, it's you know very difficult to connect in in the real world. So having that digital connection can sometimes help. But also that digital isolation also can take us away from the people that we need to be around. So I mean, it's a double edged sword, really, isn't it? But I think for you, having that time off. We do need that detox sometimes but also we do need to connect with people in any way we can
5: yeah i mean it's very weird for me because it's not the first time i've digitally detoxed i mean i did i'm a celebrity and i was off everything for 20 days that was like a total detox you know from everything alcohol food good company because i was in there with jilly mckeith of course and online so yeah that was amazing and then i've traveled to countries i went to north korea where your phone is confiscated for all the time you're there and it's a double-edged sword as you said because it's actually quite nice not to be the slave to your phone, to your apps, to online. But on the other hand, it's absolutely essential, certainly for me to do my business, my job, to contact people, and also just to function more and more. It's the people just assume that you can do that online and it's really difficult for people that aren't. I'm interested there, you're saying about I'm a celebrity, because
2: I mean, it's fascinating for us to watch because we're seeing people connect in a way that we don't. We don't sit around as we used to many years ago and have conversations. So what was that experience like for you? Just being able to connect with people that you probably haven't spoken to before or had a real proper conversation.
5: Did it feel natural? Well, yeah, it sort of did. But I'm a celebrity is double odd because not only are you having this opportunity of everyone kind of dualizes, don't they? Like they watch TV while they're watching their phone or they talk to you and they're looking at their phone. I'm a celeb, you didn't have that. So you did actually open up because one of the big things you don't get about I'm a celeb is you see an hour a day, but 23 hours a day, you're quite bored. So you do in the end have these incredibly long conversations. But it's not just conversations with strangers. I mean, I'm sitting there talking to Britt Eklund, who's married to Peter Sellers. You know, this is totally insane. And then I'm just sleeping next to Sean Ryder from Happy Mondays. So it's not a normal experience in any sense. So it was never boring, no. But no. some were better than others. Let's put it that way. And Ruth, as John was pointing out earlier,
2: we have to use our mobile phones for so much these days. I mean, for banking... Where I am at the moment, we've had our, our local bank go. So there's no banks now on the local high street where I am. For GP surgeries, you know, we're encouraged now to either make appointments through the phone rather than, than turning up on the doorstep. And then sometimes we don't actually get to see GPs because we have to uh, have this digital interaction instead. So how do you find that from people you talk to?
4: Yeah, the simplest thing of being able to try and find out the opening hours of somewhere, you would automatically go online and check But if you don't have access to the internet, then you're reliant on either turning up or finding some out-of-date piece of paper. And so if you're experiencing financial hardship, there's a lot of systems that you need to navigate to get support, and it can be quite complex. And add in that not being able to access the internet, having data, not being able to be connected, it makes it additionally complicated. You're going to new places that you maybe never been to before that you need to find out where to go, and you can't use Google Maps, or you need to contact somebody online, email them, try and find an appointment and you can't access that to do it. So it does become across food banks, we find people coming in and we're signposting them to other organisations, but it can be quite complex if there isn't that access the data. And so, by having the little helps data bank connected with our food bank centres, that will make a huge difference to be able to connect people so that they can access additional support if they need it, or just, as you say, be able to make a GP appointment. It's just really simple things that we don't always think about that when you're already facing financial hardship or you're experiencing a situation that's a bit difficult, then this just compounds it and adds on to it and the world is created in a way that we're expected to access most things digitally now and that can make it even more difficult.
2: Especially for the elderly, for the disabled, for just people that just aren't into technology. Can you tell me a bit more about what the Trustful Trust are doing with this initiative that's launching at the moment?
4: Yeah, so we have over 1,300 food bank centres across the UK. So we provide those three days worth of emergency food for people who are referred to a food bank. And most people who are referred to a food bank are facing financial hardship. They're not able to afford the essentials. And one of those essentials is connection, just like bread or toothpaste. It's an essential nowadays. And so we provide the food, but we also try and provide wraparound support. So lots of different food banks might have somebody in their centre who is able to provide actual advice to help somebody with their financial situation, or we're able to signpost people to get a voucher to access money to be able to pay for your electric if you've run out. And so this is another thing that we can offer in a food bank centre to help people to connect. And that is a huge piece in the puzzle because it enables you to connect with all the other opportunities that are available to you, which you might not have been able to do before because, you don't have the money or the funds to be able to, to access data or, or your phone.
2: And Don, we are acknowledging Time to Talk Day, a day to talk about mental health. You've graciously told us a little bit about your experiences. What would your advice be just for anyone that is finding it difficult or
5: wants to be able to talk on this Time to Talk Day? What would you say and what kind of things benefit you? Well, I mean, on a practical level, exercise is always the thing for me. I have dogs. So weirdly, I I used to call my anxiety black dog anyways, a lot of people do, and I actually have two black dogs, so three black dogs go for a walk basically around Cheltenham, and uh, so that's always incredibly helpful, but actually when I was a kid, you couldn't talk about it, it really was, it was such a stigma. I remember when I was very young, I heard the lead singer of the, the band I loved, Matt Johnson, and he was talking about how he had terrible panic attacks and stuff, and I remember thinking, oh my God, that's incredible, if someone like that can be in a band doing that then it means this thing is not it shouldn't be that dehabilitating but it's about talking to people and of course the internet has made that so much easier because you've suddenly got access beyond your friends or having to go and find someone I I was listening to something the other day about you can even have therapy online where you don't even have to look at someone you know you don't have to have the camera on if that's what you don't want to do so there's so many it's just a, a way I just think communication is one of the most key things whatever trouble you're in have a badly you're feeling if you share that with someone it's such a cliche but it does help and if you don't have access to the internet you know it's going to make your troubles even worse
2: and just we finally from what we've talked about today if people want more information or they want to find out about the crystal trust as well where can they go to find out
4: So you can go to tescomobile.com to find out more about the partnership. If you want to access a food bank, then do contact some local organisations around you. So that could be your GP, if you can get an appointment, a local school or your local advice centre, just go in there and they should be able to refer you to a food bank if you find yourself in a situation where you're not able to afford the essentials. And there's loads of support and information available on the Trust for Trust website, again, if you have access to data.
2: Ruth Cock from the Trussell Trust Food Centre and also Dom Jolly, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks Thanks. very much.
1: A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind.
2: It's a space to speak your mind and it's time to talk day. So I'm welcoming to the show, Sean Flores. How are you doing, Sean?
6: Yes, man, I'm grateful and I'm happy to be here. You're doing fantastic work with your platform, so to have a chance to be able to speak my mind and to tell my story is one that I'm incredibly grateful for. So yeah, I'm ready to go.
2: Well, tell me a bit about yourself. Let me find out about you.
6: Yeah, how would I describe myself? So I'd say probably former model, Now i'm currently a mental health advocate. I speak a lot about obsessive compulsive disorder a very misunderstood Mental illness that people usually associate to symmetry or cleaning outside of that i'm also doing public speaking I do a lot of journalism and ideally i'm looking to retrain and use a lot of the skills that i've previously acquired and to retrain Ideally as an ocd anxiety specialist. So ideally to become a therapist i'm currently on a life coach course. So trying to take the skills that I've learned again and to help guide other people on their journey. So that's a little bit about myself at the moment, but my life essentially changed last year, massively after I had a really big mental health breakdown due to intrusive thoughts that I was having. I became incredibly depressed, I was very suicidal and I tried to just get on with life, but every day felt like a burden. And what happened after that was, it was on Saturday the 4th of June, I woke up and I said i can't do this anymore so i went on the internet and i found a therapist and i begged her for a phone call we had a phone call and i just cried my absolute eyes out because i said why am i having the thoughts that i was having i was having thoughts that You know, that I'm gay, a rapist, and I'm suicidal, all of these things. And for a lot of people, they're like, why would you worry about those things? It's not something to really worry about. But when you have OCD, it's a different level of anxiety that's not normal with the average person. Like everyone can be a little bit anxious, but someone with OCD, their anxiety can feel incredibly crippling so it was the loss of all my identity rather than the things that were bothering me it was this worry this fear that I could become some of these things and what happened as a result was I got the therapy that I needed and my therapist saved my life and it's a reason why I'm here today able to actually speak my mind because before that I was locked up in my mind it felt like I was in hell internally and nobody could understand what was going on I couldn't understand what was going on.
2: I mean, talk a bit more about OCD from your point of view, because you've got a particular type, which is pure OCD. So can you explain what the differences are for someone who might not know about the terms?
6: Yeah, so i'll make this clear that pure o is not a scientific term it just means purely obsessional so it's all to do with internal it's all to do with in your head there's not many outward compulsions so for example there's obsessions with ocd so it's the thoughts the rumination that goes over and over and over in your head and somebody might perform outward compulsions might be light switches and um, checking the doors are closed checking the fridges closed turning light switches could be avoiding certain places whereas for someone like myself because it's all internal you wouldn't know what's going on in my head i've had to figure out all of my mental compulsions and what compulsions do the idea behind a compulsion is it's a behavior it's an action that essentially allows you to relieve the anxiety from the obsessions but everyone knows that it happens in a loop so you get an obsession you might ruminate you do a compulsion but then it restarts so what you've got to learn to do is to handle the anxiety teach your brain that It's okay to be anxious because anxiety always has a peak and it will always drop. So that's the best way to describe OCD. And OCD is, as I said, it's very misunderstood mental illness. A lot of our perceptions and ideas of OCD come pretty much from the show that was first aired on. Channel 4 in 2013, which is Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners, where it presents OCD almost as a desired trait, an adjective, something to be wanted. Whereas for people that live with OCD, they would refer to themselves as suffering with OCD, where it can be incredibly hard to have certain thoughts that are against your morals, to have certain actions. And it can take up a lion's share of people's time in their day. It affects people's work. So... A lot of what I do is trying to raise awareness of OCD, but also get people to understand the severity of the nature of what it is. It's an anxiety disorder.
2: We all, in some way, do have intrusive thoughts, even just in our mind. It's almost like inner voice, isn't it? So it is there for a lot of us, but it's just in a more, would you say, high intensity for you?
6: Yes, a high intensity would be the best way to describe it. You're right, that there studies that have shown that everybody has intrusive thoughts. So you might have a thought where you might be, what happens if I jump off this bridge? Or what happens if I drop the baby? Whereas for somebody with OCD, that thought can keep going on a loop, like a hamster on a wheel. And because anxiety is essentially a learned behavior, you become very anxious and you're like, what does it say about me? There's something that's going on. I'm worried that I could be a threat, something bad could happen. And OCD presents itself in various different themes. So my two main themes are sexual orientation. So the question of my sexuality and also harm. So it's the worry that I might harm myself and harm other people, but I'm dealing with it a lot better. I manage it a lot better at the moment because I've got the right tools. So yeah, it's the best way to describe it. It's almost having intrusive thoughts on a loop. It's always, worrying that something could happen. So the intensity of those thoughts they come at a volume which most people can't ignore. They have to essentially learn how to ignore and some people have to go on to antidepressants, some people only need CBT ERP which is very specific for OCD which is cognitive behavioural therapy and exposure response prevention but there's also a new treatment that's come out of Canada which is called inference-based therapy. I need to read a little bit more into that but ERP is known as the gold standard for OCD recovery so to be in recovery means the thoughts don't stop you just learn to realise the thoughts say nothing about you and the thoughts are known as ego dystonic so they're thoughts that are against your morals and against your values and they do not align with your character in any way shape or form whereas thoughts that the average person would have which is less intrusive would be known as ego syntonic so they align with your morals they align with your values they align with your character so yes in many ways it is at a greater intensity that we have intrusive thoughts
2: are you talking there uh, about your sexuality. I know when it first was recognised that you were having pure OCD, it kind of tied in with that sort of time for you that you were recognising your own sexuality. Can you elaborate a, a bit more about that? I mean, had you had OCD all your life and it was only recognised at that point or was it something that came at the point where you were discovering yourself?
6: Fantastic question, Richard. I really actually appreciate that question because when I was speaking to one of my friends recently, I realised I probably had symptoms that were emerging In my early adulthood, so when I used to work in an addiction clinic, I remember this moment, one of the clients or the users, I think service users is the term they would use now, came in, I wanted to speak about something. There was a young man who had committed suicide and he had hung himself. And I just remember having these constant intrusive thoughts of suicide, suicide. I remember I went home and I cried and I never returned to the clinic ever again because I was like, I can't handle it. I didn't know what was going on. I had health anxiety after that, then I also had a dream of a guy in boxers and I had this obsessive idea that I was suddenly gay. And probably in some parts it's an internalized homophobia, which is very natural within Christian fundamentalism, especially in the Caribbean and the culture I've grown up in. But for me, it was more so the collapse of my identity was the biggest issue. It was this idea that I woke up and I suddenly almost no longer knew who I was i worried about everything i kept looking for evidence so one of the biggest things that people do with ocd is we try to look for evidence to prove that we're going to do or to act on these thoughts and that's not the case the fact you're anxious about a thought means more than likely or never you will never ever act on these thoughts it's not who you are so i think i've had it for a long time but i believe mine might have been triggered by other events that happen in life but as i'm going further and further on my journey in therapy I'm looking back and certain events are coming back up to me and popping back up and reminding me. There were small moments where it did pop up, but I was completely unaware. It was only until I went to therapy and I learned. I was like, wow. So I probably have had it for a really, really long time. And I'm sure, Richard, yourself, you've seen a host of other mental illnesses being spoken about or disorders that people don't understand until they finally get the diagnosis. The diagnosis gives them some sort of clarity.
2: On Time to Talk Day we're encouraging people to talk and especially people from different ethnicities and you're talking there about religion. It can be so difficult for cultures to talk openly because there is a stigma still there isn't there in
6: society? Massively yeah there's a really big stigma because of the relationship we have with medical institutions. There's quite often a distrust and I think a lot of that has come from many medical practices such as John Marion Sims, the founder of modern-day gynecology, experimented on a black woman. He treated her as a pet in zoo. They raped her, they did many different obscene and inhumane acts to this woman. So that's how they founded modern-day gynecology. Then you have the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where they injected 400 slaves with syphilis and they could have cured these men easily, but they let them die for the sake of records and medical science. But the advances we've had in science, yes, have come at a grave cost to a lot of black bodies, but people before one of the answers people like to give me is but that's in america but what people don't realize is we've imported a lot of our culture from america in the uk a lot of the movements that have happened in america have given flight and plight given flight essentially to a lot of the movements that have happened over here in the uk and when uncle sam sneezes the world catches a cold i think we almost herald america as this standard that we hold ourselves to throughout the world whereas I think a lot of cultures now are starting to break off the coattails of which they operate from. And I think East Asia is a great example. Korea, China, they're breaking away from the US. And I think other cultures are finally starting to explore. But religion also plays a really big part. If you come from a religious community, you're more likely to have religious OCD. And for people who don't understand what religious OCD is, religious OCD is, for example, the fear you might be going to hell, or it's otherwise known as scrupulosity OCD. The fear you might be going to hell, you might excessively pray, you might excessively ask your religious leader. Or people as part of your community does god love me and um, why is this happening why is that happening it's the obsessive thoughts and the behaviors around it to alleviate the compulsion so you might go to church more than you need to you might go to the mosque more than you need to so a lot of the work i'm trying to do is to open up those conversations and spaces that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to have those conversations. And I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, which is a denomination of Christianity, which many people don't like to admit. But what I found really interesting was when I shared some of my stories, some of the people in the church, and there's a lot of antiquated, outdated views, which were able to continue because at the time when people from my culture came to the UK, they needed something to believe in. And religion was almost a thing that was not tangible. It was intangible but it allowed them to believe in a world bigger than themselves. And we know as a result of colonization and slavery, which is quite a contentious topic in today's society, religion was the cornerstone and the bedrock of the societies in which we lived in. It was the only thing that provided hope in such obscene, hard times. And there's a reason why it remains a cultural bastion right now within many ethnic minority communities. But As i said the church has had many outdated views and i believe it's people from my generation the younger generation who are now finally starting to challenge the church because at times religious dogma can really trap people in a sense of they don't know who they can speak to from their religious community and i'll give you an example when i shared some of my ocd story there was a a young lady that i know personally and i've worked with and she said it could be demons being put into my head i didn't take it offensively because i knew she was trying to help me i knew she wanted to try and do what she thought was the best thing and i had to explain to her it's a disorder of the brain there's an issue with the brain it's not anything to do with demons but who am I to debate her belief? But a lot of what I'm also doing within religion is I'm trying to show people that secular treatment triumphs over religious dogma. So the scientific proof and the treatment and the validity and the reliability of CBTERP in terms of combating OCD can give people back their lives and it can change their relationship with how they see God. So this is a lot of the work that I'm doing because there's many layers to it. Many, many facets that people really don't realize.
2: In talking about the therapy that you've had and with CBT, in a lot of these cases, it is learning to live with what you have, isn't it? It's not necessarily getting rid of what you experience, but how you manage that. So can you explain a little bit about that
6: journey? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that happen typically when people are diagnosed with OCD and they go to therapy. I've been guilty of this too, where you just go, I want to get rid of the thoughts. I don't want the thoughts anymore, but that's the issue. You're trying to fight something that you cannot change. Your brain is a wonderful machine. It creates many elaborate stories. That's what the brain is supposed to do. The mind does everything you can imagine. The mind creates fantastical concoctions every single day of our lives. But one thing you have to learn not to do with OCD is to buy into every single story. So the way I manage my OCD is I don't buy into the story that the thoughts try to tell me. I do a lot of gratitude journaling. I continue with my exercise. I practice my mindfulness. I practice meditation. But also one thing that's really helped me in my recovery with OCD has been telling my story and Telling my story has freed me from being a prisoner of my past because I've had hundreds of people. People really don't realize I've had hundreds of people reach out to me and talk to me about OCD and they're like, thank you for telling your story. And I've said, this is the reason why I do it. I've had to be brave enough to tell the world my story because people don't realize that a story shared is a burden half. And when I was at my worst ebbs with OCD and I felt like I was in such dire straits, if I had met other people like me, I would have been able to have, I suppose, a footing and a place in the world and i'll give you an example so when i shared some of my story with people people i knew directly told me they also had ocd when i shared my story and i've as a result of it now i've been able to create a nice little whatsapp group with many of us where we just speak about It's not even always just OCD related, but we just connect on a human level just to know that there's more of us out there and we're not alone. And there's many famous people with OCD, Sam Smith, Leonardo DiCaprio, Donald Trump, Jessica Alba, Justin Timberlake. There's many people out there that have OCD, J. Cole, Kelly Rowland, Michael Jackson was suspected to have OCD. There's even Kanye West. Obviously, he has a host of other mental illnesses. But it's actually very common. People don't realize that up to 1% to 2% of the UK population have OCD. So it's just people don't speak about it because of the taboo nature of the thoughts and the themes that come out as a result of it. And one of the things that I'm trying to do is to eradicate that shame and that stigma and the embarrassment and the guilt that comes with it because it's not your fault. The brain creates fantastical stories and i say this to people because there's a host of other mental illnesses that overlap with ocd and have very similar symptoms such as adhd add bipolar there's many other illnesses that intrusive thoughts can really be a part of it bpd as well but i think they've named it now emotional unstable personality disorder i think they've changed the title of it so i want people to realize that a lot of my story is not just about sharing it but it's about getting people to understand that they're not alone and you're free to tell your story to this world and if people judge you based on something you cannot control then those are not the kind of people to have around you but i do also understand at the same time richard there are incredibly worrying ramifications and real life consequences that can happen if you tell the wrong person and they report you to people who are working safeguarding i know people that have had their kids taken away from them because there's even something called maternal ocd or perinatal ocd where mothers can develop it my therapist developed perinatal OCD twice when she had her kids and because she had a lived experience of OCD she was able to get me to understand that you can live with it you can manage it and it's not the end of your life so I try to manage it by telling my story writing my story I've appeared on many different networks and platforms and written many different articles and I'm in that OCD activism space and advocacy space just to give hope to people again and to give a voice to those who feel voiceless.
2: I think it's so important talking to someone who has had lived experience. I mean, you're very fortunate there to have a therapist who was able to understand, you know, some of the things that you're going through through their lived experience. So it really is connecting with people, and as you say, you're you're a big advocate for that. And also, Sean, at a point where you needed to talk to someone, you reached out to the Samaritans. Can you explain a bit more about how that experience was?
6: Yeah, so what happened exactly was I was having intrusive thoughts about cutting myself and I remember on the night I held a knife to my hand and I was like Why am I not having the feeling that I want to cut myself? What is this thought doing in my head and I was so worried I was gonna cut myself that I called the Samaritans I called Samaritans three nights in a row because the anxiety was so bad I was worried that I was gonna take my life and I remember one night when I had suicidal thoughts I engaged with the thoughts and i went down a rabbit hole i was thinking how do i take my life do i jump off a bridge and put a book in my bag do i get a gun do i use a knife do i drown myself i was thinking which way to go and i remember i said to myself if i do not sleep i will kill myself that was my exact words and i fell asleep and i woke up in the morning and i was distraught i realized how could i allow myself to think like that my life is worth living and what worried me also was sometimes we allow temporary feelings to allow us to make permanent decisions and i wrote suicide notes i remember i wrote to my friends that i loved all of them and i'm sorry but i couldn't deal with everything else and when i told my therapist my therapist said to me delete those notes we're not doing that again we're not engaging with your ocd like that again you're going to get better and my therapist emma garrick a scottish lady she saved my life if it wasn't for emma i would not be here where i am today she gave me hope in darkness and I remember I asked Emma, how can I help other people? She just said, pay it forward. I can never put into words what Emma did for me. Emma was everything that I needed at the time because I went to therapy before that. I remember when I had one of my breakdowns as a result of some of the sexual assault thoughts, I started seeing a psychodynamic therapist. And if anyone knows, Psychodynamic therapy for OCD is probably one of the worst things you ever have. It's not something you should ever do because it tries to get to the reason for the thoughts rather than realizing the thoughts are against your morals and values. They're just doing what the brain usually does anyway. So yeah, I can't say thank you enough to Samaritans for those three nights that they picked up the phone. I can't say thank you enough to Emma. And I can't say thank you enough to the people who message me every single day and they reinforce why I do what I do. And they give me the hope and they give me most importantly purpose and one of the biggest things I've had to realise is it is through pain sometimes we find our greatest purpose and there's a great quote by Carl Jung that says a tree can never reach to heaven unless it reaches down to hell to find its roots I think is me paraphrasing it and that's kind of where I am sitting in my journey now it's not easy but it's gotten easier the volume and the intensity of the thoughts have calmed down so there's something called neuroplasticity where you can learn new habits of your brain so you're not stuck in a death sentence with ocd so that's something to really remember and if you've got any other mental illnesses and mental disorders out there take your life back because you can my dms and so my private messages you can find me all over social media at Deshaun flores i'll put it all in your show notes you can find me and i'm open to having a conversation i want people to never be afraid to speak their story and to tell your story
2: just explain a few other ways that you're going about that, other ways that people can find out more about the work that you're doing.
6: People can reach out to me. My DMs are absolutely open. I've met up with people who have messaged me because I want people to know that you're just not alone with it. I've made some incredible friends as a result of me telling my story. So I wrote recently an article on why we need more ethnic minorities in clinical trials with OCD. I'm technically coming towards the end of a trial with Imperial College London where we've been testing out magic mushrooms. So the the psychedelic property in mushrooms is known as psilocybin. So we're assessing whether it has therapeutic capabilities for OCD, which has been proven in a 2006 Harvard study. So I'm on that trial. I'm going to be also on a trial with UCL next, looking at creating an OCD toolkit and education for those that live with OCD. I'm also going to be writing a new article on the early intervention because there's research now that has shown that OCD is a progressive disorder and it's not impossible to recover from, but the earlier you catch it, the better. So this is something I'm going to be writing about. So a lot of what I do is try to raise awareness, raise the profile and also ideally increase funding because depression has about eight to nine pounds spent per patient i believe it is per year whereas when you look at ocd only 89p is spent per person per year yet one in 50 people if i remember correctly potentially have ocd and there's also the undiagnosed there's hidden populations of ocd such as the black community and other ethnic minority communities that are hidden with ocd they don't speak about it so i'm trying to really bring to shore and use the wave that i've created to wash up new populations to get them to come forward and talk about it because we don't all experience the same challenges you're right all our lived experiences are very different and this is why i'm hoping to become a therapist because first of all 80 percent of therapists in the uk are women and only 20 percent are men we have a dire need for more male therapists and i think it could potentially change the tide with male suicide being another really big issue and i was saying this to someone else that i know that I wonder how many men we've lost to suicide as a result of OCD. I wonder how many times these men have not spoken about their OCD. I know people that have committed suicide as a result of their OCD and are deeply depressed. It's not a joke and it's not something that people really can comprehend until... Somebody like myself, I'm aware of how privileged and how lucky I am to be able to speak about my recovery in such a way. But I'm trying to do this to inspire people. And I'm hoping, ideally, to curate my third TED talk. So I've delivered two before. I delivered one on the education system, the second one was on the straight jacket of masculinity. So I was speaking about my story and how when my father died on Christmas Day, it was probably one of the most profound traumas in my life and it shaped me massively in becoming the person i wanted to be and how quite often at times of masculinity i don't think masculinity in and of itself is negative i think hegemonic masculinity is the issue because weak men are more worrying than strong men i believe a strong man who's in touch with his masculinity understands the power and with great power comes great responsibility uncle ben once told peter parker in spider-man one of my most favorite quotes but i'm hoping to develop a ted talk on that as well at some point so that's another really exciting plan i'm putting together a speaking tour document because i want to speak to higher education institutions and just get more people to understand mental health and just how important it is i know that mental health is a really popular conversation right now but i'm trying to break the trend i don't want it to be something that's trending and then it ends in a year or two i want this to be something we continuously work on because i took my mental health for granted and i've realized mental health is like the gym you've got to keep taking care of your mind and keep doing what's important
2: and it's so good that from such a dark place that you're now able to help other people and such an amazing thing you do so thank you so much for talking with us today on this times talk day It's been really enlightening and we will put those um, show notes that you've given us on our podcast page so people can access the information that you've given us.
6: Thank you so much, Richard, for giving me a chance to tell my story. Most importantly, the work that you're doing doesn't go underappreciated. I'm hoping this will really help people's lives. Most importantly, so thank you.
2: Sean Flores. Thank you so much for being on The Space to Speak Your Mind.
6: If you missed anything on today's show, you can
1: download the podcast right now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now Amazon Podcasts, and tune in. For
0: more support and more information for better mental health, visit cornwallmind.org or call the Mind Helpline during office hours on 0300
1: 123 3393. There is a new 24-7 local Urgent mental health response phone line it's free to access by anyone any age on 0800 038 5300
0: and call the samaritans anytime for free on 116 123
1: if you'd like to be a part of the show you can get in contact just email a space to speak your mind at gmail.com
0: or you can also follow us
2: on twitter or like us on facebook